Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. I have a very special guest and author. I don't have many gentlemen on this show, so I'm excited to have a fellow parent and uh, have an author here. His book is called Creative Hustle, and I get a lot of books, as you guys know, if you're a longtime listener, and this is a very different book. It really stuck out to me when it came. It's beautiful imagery. And uh, we're going to get more into that. But before I do, I want to introduce you to Ola Tunde or Tunde Soba Mahin. And he is the author of this book. And he is my guest today. And he's also the CEO and co-founder of Street Code Academy. It's a Silicon-based, uh, Valley-based uh, net nonprofit that offers free tech classes to communities of color. It is one of the fastest growing organizations in the region, growing from 20 students in its inaugural class in 2014 to now serving over 2,000 students annually with over 40,000 hours of free instruction. As a student at Stanford, Olatunde also led a public speaking class in the engineering department and played on the top 25 men's basketball team, where he was also voted most inspirational player in 2003. His body of work has earned him recognition as a 2018 Aspen Institute Scholar, a 2019 Praxis Fellow, and a 2020 Social Entrepreneurship Fellow at Stanford University. He's also taught classes at the Stanford Haas Center, a Stanford D School, Olatunde graduated from Stanford University with a degree in urban studies, and he and his wife, Tamara, reside in East Palo Alto, California with their four children, Olataya, Temilola, Tatiola, and Olatai. Uh, please welcome Tunde to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that wonderful intro. I got them all right, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly, I mean, the one thing I would say is that... Um, my uh, co-author, Sam Seidel, um, powerful writer in another, um, you know, D school. He's a, he's a director of the K-12 lab and uh, he's a phenomenal co-author of the book. I want to make sure we shout him out. Absolutely. Um, this book is, is great. And uh, uh, before we pushed record, I was, I was complimenting you on just the imagery and just the uniqueness of the, of the layout. Um, and before we get into that, I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests. Um, my icebreaker question. So are you ready? Ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm warm. Okay, okay. So uh, what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Mm. Okay. So I have a newly found uh, favorite cookie and it stems from a beautiful cookie memory. I have, um, I'm the oldest. I grew up uh, with three younger brothers. I have an older brother and older sister as well. Um, but one of my uh, younger brothers, his name is Dele, married um, his wife, Kelsey. And Kelsey is a phenomenal uh, baker. And so she bakes for the holidays um, a uh, peppermint cookie, a pe peppermint uh, candy cookie. You, you know, it has chunks of peppermint in there. 
And I remember uh, when she first brought those over uh, to our family and, and we, I mean, my wife is a wonderful cook, so we're used to like some good treats and good food. Um, but those kind of rose to the top of, um, you know, the dessert. And so that's my favorite cookie and a great memory being introduced to those uh, by my sister-in-law. Awesome. And Christmas is coming. So it's peppermint season. Yes. Uh, in the it's work. peppermint season. Right. Right. So, oh, well, thank you. That's a new one. I usually get chocolate chip or I love asking because I get very different things and it's, it's really fun. Um, I sometimes will get, I don't eat cookies. I'm like, that doesn't help me. What yeah, would you go exactly. for if you did or what, what would be your go-to after? So um, it's just a fun, uh, fun question, I think, because uh, food no, is the universal love language. Uh, so, you know, and you have uh, four children and uh, two boys, two girls. So, and they're on the grown side. I would say grown side because my kids are so young. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do they feel? This is your first book. So how, what was that like for them to see your book for the first time? Yeah, I mean, what was so beautiful, I mean, they were integral to the book because I thought about, you know, this, this to write a book is taking time away. And, you know, as parents, anything we're doing is taking time away from the precious moments that we have with our children. You said our my children were grown compared to yours and in a minute yours will be grown and those moments just flown by. And so, and I still remember them as not grown. You know, my kids are 17, 16, 15 and 11. And I remember them when they were, you know, three, four, five and newly born and et cetera. So every moment's kind of taken away from them. And this book um, was on top of my normal job. And so when you take time away, you really have to count that cost. Like what, what is what is this going to contribute back to my children? So I always thought about my kids um, and what would I say to them in this book? Would this book be valuable to them in any way? I just constantly kind of reminded myself about them through the whole writing process. And then they were integral because I would give them chapters and ask them how they felt. There were certain people that we profiled in the book that resonated with each of my children who have different interests. One's a one's an aspiring filmmaker. And so I, it was so amazing to to interview Sean Heater and then be able to give that chapter uh, to my daughter to look at in the review and to get her thoughts. And they were, you know, they were part of that target market, right? They're young kids who want to be creative in their life, who want to, ha- you know, who have entrepreneurial expression, but have their own path. And so to have them be able to interact with the book early on was really special. And then to finally have those books come in the mail and be able to, you know, show them a, the physical sort of manifestation of all the work that they've seen me do and all the work they helped to do. That was a special moment. That was a special moment. And I know now that they've seen a process up close that for them, you know, writing a book is not going to be the feat it was for me. Um, because for me, you know, it was something that I had never dreamed of, had never seen up close. And so for them, I know that's going to be a, yet another thing that they've seen up close and, and can have a little, um, have a little more confidence if they were to approach that same task. Sure. Sure. And so the book is called creative hustle. And so why did you name it this and what does it, you know, what's this book about? And you said something about, you know, it's your target audience is, you know, younger entrepreneurs and all of your children are also some form of entrepreneur. Um, and I would love to deep in, dig into that as well, because I think, um, 
that's what America is built on is, is, I mean, building your own business, making your own path. It's like, you know, I, this is why I started three years ago. Um, so I think it's super important to pull that out. So tell us a little more about creative hustle. Yeah. So the name originated because Sam Seidel, my co-author and I, um, had this similar passion for doing, you know, positive work in wherever area we were, right. He has come from, he came from the East coast, but he had worked with juvenile, um, justice, I mean, excuse me, juvenile uh, uh, folks in the in the system. There are young people who are in the system, juvenile system in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I had a background in youth development, you know, on this on this West Coast. Uh, we had both kind of navigated university settings. I taught a class, as you mentioned, at the School of Engineering. He was head of the D School um, at the time, the, the Institute of Design at Stanford University. And so we had this similar passion, like how do you make work that, um, reaches all audiences and a big audience that was left out that we felt like was you know an audience that um, I was actually serving through the nonprofit right it's a lot of you know folks that are um, in communities of color sometimes these are impoverished communities of color so now you're being overlooked you don't really have so we wanted a name that resonated with everyone and we wanted something that was inclusive to folks not just in the university setting but broadly and so we started tossing out some names. I think it was him who came up with the, with that name, Creative Hustle. And that, that was a winner. Like we were like, that's exact, that captures, you know, the drive that you need, right? Creative is sort of the, creative is the, is the, is the imagination part. It's like the, it's, it's the bigness. It's the possibility, be whatever it right? Be. Be, yeah. Whatever you could be. Yeah. Be creative. And then uh, the hustle is the ambition. It's the, it's the step-by-step. -step. It's the daily drive that you need to kind of, push it. So you have this imagination plus the ambition. Those are the things that you kind of need. And so we wanted to get that. We didn't want it to be something that was, you know, small, like how do you just survive? Like how do you just kind of have a side hustle and just survive? We want to know, like, how do you live out your fullest capacity? And to your, to your point, it is a very American concept to, to, to go for it, to dream big and to, and to, and to, and to think that the impossible is possible. And so we wanted to capture that, you know, for all communities. And so Creative Hustle, we felt like did that. And I think with Creative Hustle, it's that that's like gritty, right? Like mm -hmm. you hustle every day. We hustle just to get the kids out of the door, <laughs> like just to get out and do the daily chores, right? And so when you, like I tell my kids all the time, hustle, hustle, hustle. I grew up as an athlete. I played soccer. Uh, all I heard was, let's go, let's go, let's hustle. Let's put some hustle into it. And so it's, it's really then dipping into that and putting the creativity and like, you can hustle and be, as long as you work hard, you can be what you want to be and you are giving the possibility, right? Opening it up. No, you're so right. I mean, I love, I thank you for sharing that. I grew up a soccer player too, basketball player, track athlete. Like I loved, and you're right in, in athletics, you know, you're hustling. And, and to your point, I mean, every day as a parent, we're hustling, we're telling our kids hustle. We, there's a spirit that we know how to make something happen. And you, I, I love the way you put it. Like we're dipping into that. Like we, we all feel that we know that there's a, there's a, um, re, there's a relatability to that word. And I, we love that part. And then the creative part, I feel like is also something we want to tap into because all of us, there's a moment in the book where we share, that you can go into a room with third graders and ask who's creative or who is a creative and all the hands go up. 
And you, you know, put a couple of decades on that. Now you go into a room with 33 year olds and ask that same question and not many hands raised. Right. And so we all at one point sort of identify with that creative part. And so we tried to have things that were relatable, even if it's that, you know, that seven year old self that you feel like this is a book that we feel like everybody can relate to. I know what it is to hustle. I know what it is to be creative. Like, let me let me identify with this piece and then do that to the to the, you know, to the biggest part of your dreams. Sure. I mean, we all have that fire and passion about something. And sometimes we don't really know where it is or where it goes, or you have different interests in different things, but then trying to really, what we say, niche down or really hone in on like what our purpose is. Sometimes it's not clear to us. You have to let someone like your audience tell you what it is. Um, and, and when you start out and you think you're going to go this way, and that's like, no, this is what I like, but that's not the need. It's like, but this is what they're seeing you as a leader. Then you have to just have to be able to own that too and really um, lean into it because not always our paths are always uh, what we think they're going to be. Yeah, no, you're so right. I mean, we have, so, you know, the book is laid out like this. You have gifts. Um, and that's a very communal process, right? What are my gifts? Sometimes those are the things that I work hard at to attain. Some of those things come more naturally. Some of those things are recognized by yourself. Some of those things are recognized by others. You have gifts and then you have these goals. Some of the time we don't take the time and write them down. We don't take the time to think about them, but they're in there. And so the, the book ends to the entire book is like, how do you reach, how do you move from your gifts to your goals? And there are three uh... lanes to do that. The three lanes are principles, people, and practice. And everything that you mentioned about people and sometimes, you know, somebody else can recognize this or, you know, um, recognize the leadership you have. There's three just really phenomenal chapters and people that we outline the book that talk about how they've used people. And the first one that comes to mind is actually the first chapter in that section of a story of a, of a gentleman named Bryant Terry. And Bryant Terry um, was this food activist working for food justice um, in, on the East Coast and knew that there was more, but just didn't know how to really pinpoint it. And what he did, the chapter's called Design You With Others. And it's titled that because what he did one night is to say he was a, you know, he was a phenomenal cook and is a phenomenal cook. He said, I'll cook for you. And he's talking to, to some of his best advisors. He said, I almost kind of created his own board of directors. I'll cook for you one night. Let's come over and let's have you sort of brainstorm with me what my possibilities could be. And they brainstormed a host of things, including him writing a book and, you know, him having his own um, his 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 own outfit. And all those things that they brainstormed came to true. He's a James Beard award winning um, cookbook author. He's put out now he has his own um uh, you talking about publishing? He has his own publishing arm at a ten speed, and this is within one lifetime. This is an African American young man from the you know grew up grew up in the South. Like these are things that are possible, but how do you do that? He had to leverage other people. He had to leverage, you know, his own kind of personal board of advisors who saw him, who knew him, and knew how to kind of propel him to the next step. And that's an inspiring to me model. And we have in in the book we have at the end you know, these sort of these prompts. I want to say my, I just want to read this quick thing. Yeah, it said, inspired by Bryant, Bryant convened a group of friends and mentors 
to help him shape a new strategy for achieving his goals. How can you activate your own personal board of advisors? Grab three people you trust, offer to cook for them or draw for them or sing for them in exchange for an hour of their time. Ask them, what should I do next and why? Have them go around, share their answers and react to each other's answers. Take notes or record the session so you can spend time with the answers later. Don't forget to send thank you notes to each of them and follow up later to let them know what you ended up doing with their advice and how it's working out. It's a very practical way to just kind of be, you know, learn from uh, uh, an inspiring story. And he, you know, he dips into so many um, new and old ways, right? So trade, like let's trade our time, like, and you're leveraging your, your relationships. Cause I want you to be honest. Like, you know, they always say, keep, keep your circle to five and people that won't lie to you, whether they, they don't, they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. It's what they think and what you need to hear. And so dipping into that and also bringing in like, well, let's share a meal together and bring in that community. And then I love how he said, record it because a lot of us will just talk about it. And then we forget and we're like, oh yeah, mm. what was that? I put in voice memo on your phone, use your technology and let it ride and let it see. Cause then you can really go back and listen. And then in a year or two, when you want to go back, you're in a whole new spot and they could, you could have heard that person's advice 16 million times, but that one new time you're like, I'm in a new spot that now resonates with me. Now I see it because you didn't see it two years ago, whenever it would happen. And then I love the thank you gifts. Mm -hmm. Like you have to write thank you notes, handwritten. Everyone loves to get a piece of mail. It's very personal. The personal touches are always something you can keep. You could, you know, people put it on your phone, you'll just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And so um, he really tapped into some really amazing uh, pointers to get the process moving. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I feel similarly about every person we profile, nine people in the book all have those kind of uh, exercises at the end of every chapter that can give you pointers of how, and, you know, we just gleaned so many amazing to your point to, you know, beautiful observation about, what Bryant was able to do, but we gleaned a lot of those kind of tips from folks in the book. Yeah. And, and when you were talking earlier, it reminded me of a friend of mine. Um, he's an artist and, um, he works for, he was working for Disney and we went to high school together and, um, knew him just as like kids. Right. And so when social media is powerful, cause you can keep up with people and really see their journey. And I have a couple of books from him. He's an illustrator. He's an, and he does beautiful work and he's really tapped in, to the African-American market. I mean, he's a, he's a black man. Um, he's helped me see what he saw because we were a very um, white school and I never really thought of his perspective until I started reading more about him. He's like, well, I was sometimes the only black man in my class and no one looked like me. And I recognize him as my friend and it really opens my eyes and seeing what he's doing now, he's now turned himself into an artivist. Shout out Nick Smith, if you're listening. Mm -hmm. um, and he's now an artivist. And so he does a lot of powerful pieces. That piece that um, after Trayvon Martin was mm -hmm. killed, that that um, art, the he's the artist that made the uh, painting of Martin Luther King in the hoodie. Wow. And so if you remember that one was, was huge. And so that really sparked him to be like creative hustle and really lean into it. And now he does a lot of that artwork and, um, he's really grown into it. He's doing well, kind of forever now for, for Marvel. And, um, it's been beautiful to see that really lean into his culture and lean into 
uh, his passion. Um, wow. and he's being creative and he, and he's been in people and has books coming out all the time and he's got, he's now a, a father. And so it's really, that's what the person I um, thought of when you were talking about that. No, that's a, that's sounds like an incredible uh, person who's, yeah, who's, who's modeling what it is to make your own path. Who's modeling what it is to make work that matters. Um, you know, the, the book subtitle is called Blaze Your Own Path to Make Work That Matters. And so we talk about creative hustle, not just being financial, but being something that has meaning. And, you know, when you talk about, when you share that story, man, that's powerful. I, I felt, I felt it, you know, the meaning that he's doing both personally to, to friends like you and, and then globally, you know, he's inspiring a whole generation with that kind of art. So thanks yeah, for sharing it's, it's inspiring. Yeah, of course. And it's inspiring to see, and I'm just speaking of what I've seen. I haven't spoken to in a while, but it's just inspiring to see when people take their passion and, and, and they're making money and they're making a difference mm -hmm. too. I think that's super crucial because we want to get out of the nine to five job. I mean, you've been at Stanford for a really long time. You went there as a student and now you work there. You got Stanford shirt on. And so um, longevity when it's passionate in something that you love, you don't see a lot. You see a lot of, you know, jumping around with the millennials and finding the next best thing. And, and sometimes you just have to sit in it and know if it's your passion or not. And even if you're really, really good at it, you might not be passionate about it. And so being able to uh, dig in and make it to where it's both for you. Um, mm. I think this book really helps highlight um, a lot of stories and people that that can inspire, especially, um, you know, young, young adults. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, Sean Heater and, um, you know, she just cleaned up at the Oscars for those that don't know, she's a filmmaker, um, and writer who wrote and directed Coda. Coda, uh, you know, was a, was a huge hit and, and won best picture and she won best director. And, her chapter, very short chapter, all these, all these chapters are really, are really short. Um, just talk about her holding on to this, um, you know, this, this, this bottle of alcohol that she was going to, you know, enjoy with, uh, I think it was her boyfriend at the time, now husband, when the moment that she, you know, finally produced this film and it took over a decade for that to actually happen. And when you talked about the, the patience and the endurance. And now she's, you know, top of the market in terms of um, anything in film, right? But it just that journey and that perseverance. And we see, we saw that a, a, around a lot of the creative hustlers that we profiled and that we talked to. It's that commitment and it's really centered in, do I know who I am and do I know what I'm about, right? And you talked about time can tell you that. And then also some principles, right? Things that you hold on to very early on can ground you. And so we talk about what is it, what, what, what is it to really remind yourself of principles, to identify the principles, to even write those down. Like, who am I? What is, what do I want to do in the world? What do I want to, and sometimes that could, that could ground you through various winds of life. Um, and so anyway, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, I mean, with, with anything, it takes time and patience and living in such a instant gratification sort of world, we don't give it enough time. You know, we're trying to start a new habit. And after 
two days, it's like, well, it's not working. I give up. Right. So having to stick with it and, um, really lean into taking the time and patience because you have to build, it has to grow. It's not like you're going to, it's very rare. You'll get like overnight success unless you're highlighted by like Oprah. Cause she stumbles upon your stuff, but like, <laughs> that's not the reality for most of us. And, um, this, the book that you have, it, it, it reminds you that it, you know, to stay grounded and to, uh, persevere and, and be patient and really stick to your guns too. You know, don't, the market will dictate to a point, but if it's something you really don't want to give on, then don't give on it. Um, you know, there was a speaker, uh, Ricky, um, I, I forget her last name. She's a music producer and, uh, she walks into a room and she has her phone. She's like, I'm a parent. If my phone rings, it's my kid. I'm going to pick it up. And that's that. And she could be in there with major movie uh, or music producers and artists and, and she makes that point right up front because she's a parent. And she always says, like, if they don't can't respect that, then I can't do business with you, whether it's like a million dollars or not. Because if you are in line with what I am, then we're just not it's just not a good fit. I need you to respect me and I respect your time. You respect, you know, my one role, my one thing. And so being really true to yourself and not letting the money in the room dictate to couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. That's, that's admirable qualities. And, um, you know, I think she'll find success, not just in her occupation, uh, but in her, you know, and what matters most as, as parents, you know, that connection with our children. And that's, that's, that's powerful. Absolutely. So let's, you have four children and they've got entrepreneurs. So what are the businesses that your children are, are currently trying and running? And um, how is that to see as a parent? And, and uh, I'm sure you're very, I mean, very supportive of it. And so let's uh, talk about a little bit about that and your kids. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we thank you. Like it's, it's, it's fun to be a parent um, for many reasons. I mean, obviously it's challenging, um, in many reasons as well, but the, but the fun part of just seeing them blossom into their own identities, um, seeing them experiment, seeing them on that journey, um, is really, is really, uh, beautiful. And so all my children showed very early on, you know, aspects of interest that I felt like had entrepreneurial outlets. I'm an entrepreneur myself. So I just, you know, I encourage that, you know, and I'm thinking about the first story I guess I'll give is my third child. Her name is Tatiola and she's the one who's aspiring filmmaker. But in that journey to be an aspiring filmmaker, she, um, you know, loved fashion design and she loved making shoes. And so there was um, she found out you could buy these kind of kid looking shoes for those who are, you know, um, old enough to remember kids. Yeah, the white uh, kids but, you know, with a little tag on the back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, they had this canvas, they had this white canvas uh, make, and it allowed, you know, she was able to, you know, kind of do this process with putting ink on it and, you know, kind of um, curing the dye on it. And that was a really big hit. I and mean, there were a lot of her classmates who, who loved those shoes, who purchased those shoes. And that was her, you know, being able to, feel like I really can do it. Right. And, and so I don't have to be a certain age to start this. You know, they had sold the lemonade, they had done, you know, the, the candy, mm -hmm. but like it, it matures on to do more and more things. Right. And before she even hit high school, um, this is my third daughter, Tatiola. She 
had made um, a Black Lives Matter video that had several top uh, top um, football players in the in the state of California, and some of those football players were um, connected to Snoop um, Snoop Dogg, who had his who has his football thing, and then also LeBron James. So LeBron James and Snoop tweeted out her video that she made. And so she had she hadn't hit middle she hadn't hit high school yet, and her videos were being you know seen by hundreds of thousands of people because she was connected to these you know you talk about that Oprah moment, and it but it happened for her right but and not in a overnight type of way but in a like you Go know momentum. I'm just I'm just I'm building I'm building momentum and I'm just putting it out there you know I, I'm putting it out there and one of those things might get caught right and my son. Um, similar, you know, he was, he was nine years old when he started coding with our, with our camp. And, um, he's my oldest son is, his, his name is Tayo and he's 17 years old now, but when he was nine, he started coding with our camp. He made a game at our boot camp. by 11 years old. He had made a game that he was able to, you know, kind of put on the app store and Mark Zuckerberg, um, was at one of our community functions and he approached Mark Zuckerberg, showed him this app. Zuckerberg was really impressed. There's a big video we have on it um, on all our street code YouTube. But uh, Zuckerberg basically tells, you know, my son, like at 11 years old, man, I couldn't do this stuff that you're doing 11. Can I post this? Can I post about this? And he posts about it and it, you know, gets 300 some thousand, you know, folks around the world to, uh, to respond to it. And one of those people was the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who eventually invited my son to speak to the young people in Saudi Arabia to sort of, inspired him to pursue tech as opposed to just going into oil. He wanted to, you know, sort of inspire generations. So he brought five young people from across the world to do that. My son was one of them. And so now he's, you know, he's building games and these are all like middle school, middle school type of my son, my other son, he's, he's 11 now, but uh, you know, he's been building Roblox games. So there's all these interests. My daughter's a, a artist, you know, she's made a book cover. Um, she's already uh, illustrated and been commissioned to do a book cover. So they all have these interests. They're all very different. They're all many respects self-driven. You know, they all love it for themselves. And then they just find these ways to kind of make it work. And those are four kids. We're trying to do that, you know, multiple times over with the work that we do at Street Code Academy. Um, but that's why, you know, it was really important just to circle back that my kids were part of the Creative Hustle book process because we wanted even young kids to be able to pick this book up and to identify and say, I'm a creative hustler. I too can make something in the world that matters. And as young as you are, you know, I've, I'm sure you can see so many attributes and gifts in your children, even as young as three, four, five, oh. six, seven years old. And, you know, to, to be able to now feed them as, you know, creatives, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as contributors, and that's, that's the best. But that's a testament to you and your wife parenting too, because the fact that your 11 year old had the confidence to walk up to Mark Zuckerberg and show him like not that shows that there's confidence and that you uh, really modeled that because not everyone will just walk up to a mogul and show him a cool thing he did at school or whatever. Well, he, full, you know. full transparency. So I was there with him, right? So my oh, okay. So it's like, hey, and I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, like, look, you, okay, look, you have to go up there and show. And he didn't know who Mark Zuckerberg was, uh -huh. right? So he had, he had no clue. Some so dude. the video is so funny because he's, he's just talking, and 
you know, Mark Zuckerberg says, man, when I was your age, I couldn't do that. My son just keeps talking because he doesn't know the significance of that comment. It's like, okay, yeah, who, who cares? You know, no one's really interested in what you were doing at 11 year old, but, but, you know, so, so in that respect, and then, but I do, I, I do accept, you know, the credit, if you will, or, or the inspiration of, you know, encouraging our kids to do that, right? Like encouraging, cause he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done that. In fact, he was, it was against his will. <laughs> he was like, oh, really? <laughs> I don't want to show, I don't want to show my work. Oh, I'm not. Cause, yeah. Cause he's yeah. shy. He wants to be, shy. and God, I love kids, you know? It, my son's a perfectionist. My oldest, he's, he's more coding, but he's a perfectionist and um, encouraging him to do. But once they get it, then they understand like, oh, that one's so scary. And then he probably leaned into it, started talking to them like, no, let me show you more. Exactly. You just got to get it out of the shell a bit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was wearing, a, I watching a special, um, I'm a big movie I love movies. And so I was watching and I like the behind the scenes stuff. I think it's super interesting. And I was watching the Harry Potter 20 year special and it brought everyone back and they were talking because they were little when they did the, all the actors. And so they were talking about the caliber of the adult actors and how like proclaimed they were because you got Gary Oldman and, you know, Richard uh, Harris and all these really major, major British actors. And these kids are coming in and they're just like acting with them, like no big deal. And now that they're older, like we did not understand the caliber yeah. of who we were acting with because we were just wanting to just have fun and, and do. So kids are so innocent and they're so um, intuitive at the same time. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. And you want to keep that as long yeah. as you can yeah no that's real yeah so i think i think um with our kids and modeling behavior and, and encouraging it's really important too with little ones like my five-year-old's hilarious i i post about him all the time because he just does things and it cracks me up and it's just um his personality is so contagious you can't help but just be in a good mood he's obsessed with spider-man too he always has like multiple spider-mans and um you want to uh, let them find it and guide them in the right way without pushing them. Right. Like my daughter's a really talented swimmer, natural swimmer. She's very, very good. I got her. She got into a really competitive program. She's seven. She's the only seven-year-old amongst the nine and eight-year-olds. Hmm. And she was like, I don't want to do it. It was very high paced. And she was very intimidated by the, uh, it was much more elevated. It was competitive. And she's like, uh, I'm like, you're used to being the best. You're used to just getting out the pool and letting the second place is like 20 seconds behind you. These are the kids like you that will make you better. And it was too intimidating. I really tried to keep her in there as like commitment, but I recognize that if she's not ready, I don't want to spoil it. Mm -hmm. And so to let her just, okay. And let it be, and hopefully she'll pick it back up but you don't want to push because mm -hmm. then you've got regret. Then you've got, then mm -hmm. you give them excuses in the you know future. So you want to mold it and push and encourage without like forcing, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I, I love that because to me, what you, to me, what I hear you saying is she has her own path, you know, and, I'm going to support and encourage and be there for her in her own path. And I think if, I think if us as parents, um, you know, the more that we can really lean into that, 
and 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 accept that for all of our kids. They're all different. They're all different relative to their peers. They're all going to be on their you know on their own timing. Of course, it's a, a juggle, right? There's so much that we know. Um, and we mm, talk about in the hard? book a lot about how oh it's 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 hard. Oh. It's a balance, and and you and you never we're never gonna we're never gonna ace it. It's the same as this creative hustle journey. Like what it's not gonna it's a journey, you know. And 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 let's enjoy that journey. Let's enjoy the the moment by moment area where you're trying to find are we really right on track and we can look up one day. And, and if we do that with principles, if we do that with other people, if we do that with daily practice, like, I think we'll look back and say, yeah, I, I was on track. I'm really proud of how I came. I'm pretty, I'm proud of where I was for my gifts and now looking at my goals and those, those gifts and those goals can and can and will evolve and should evolve. And so anyways, it's, I, I just love what I hear is that I'm, I'm here for her for the journey. And the fact that she has someone who loves her, someone who's going to nurture her, someone who's going to, you know, push her to try new things and be there when it's not the right time is, is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I was going to circle back. I'm glad that you circled back because your kids are learning the entrepreneurial journey. So watching them fail when you already like you see it coming and you're just like, oh, I really want to help them not, but it's also a good lesson as a parent that's really hard. So how is that for you when your kids are going through this journey and they're gonna they're hitting roadblocks, I'm sure, mm-hmm. or they're really like gung-ho and you're like, it's just not, it's probably not gonna end that way. And you kind of see it coming, but they're so young and letting them fail. How is that for you as a parent seeing them? and releasing that yeah i mean it's it's you know i'm i'm a i'm a coach uh (laughs) deep down Uh so and you know i've coached teams that have won championships i've coached teams that have barely won any games and when you when you're seasoned at working with young people um young people would teach you you know there's there's more ways to find joy in the process, right? And so I'm thinking about this team that I had a really fun time with. We won three games in that entire season. But I when I when I look at the when I look at our record, it doesn't line up with how I felt in that season, right? Because there were so many other things that we defined as wins. And that's to me reshaping, and that was my job as a coach. Like, how do I redefine what you think is a win? There were practices where we would cut off the score. I'm a basketball coach, so we would cut off the scoreboard. We would just take score of the rebounds, or we would just take score of how many times you sprinted back. So there, were, there were, how do we just train ourselves to redefine what is a win? And so for me, when I think about, and I was thinking about as you asked that question, like when did I see a fail coming? And so is that was that a loss of a of a of a competitive sport get sporting game? Was that when they got you know, a bad grade on a test when that was when they didn't get accepted into a program. Like, did I consider that a fail? And I actually didn't. Like, my mind was thinking, how are they going to develop? Like, what attributes do they need to develop? And I saw them developing uh, trust in themselves, which is something I really want them to do, right? So if, if they're writing something, my son's applying for college and applying to, to college, and I have a favorite college I want him to go to. And is it Stanford? He, he knows that it's not Stanford. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's not. It, um, that's actually his choice. But, yeah, no, he and he feels very strongly 
for his own reasons on on things right and i love the process of like you know seeing him stand in the decisions that he's gonna make and and feeling good about those decisions right and that's not easy it's not easy for him it's not easy for me but that's the win the win is like i know what i'm doing i know what i'm here to do and this is who i am right it's not done in a vacuum Yes, his parents, his mom and I are going to be weighing in all the time. His sisters are going to weigh in. His brother's going to weigh in. His uncles and aunties. He has a whole tribe around him that can help him. But ultimately, this is him. And, and I want him to be able to stand in his own decision. And that's, but if that's the win, then me kind of preventing a fail is not helping him to that. You know, and so um, that's looking back. That's how I think how I'm sure I've, I've I protected them like we're going to do as parents just trying to, you know, make sure the fail is not so bad. But, you know, when I look at like what are the real big things I want them to do, that's how I define the win. Sure. And there's a lesson in every failure because, uh, you know, when things aren't working or if you're trying something in your business and it's just like it's not resonating, it's just not getting traction. That's still a win because now, you know, that's not the correct thing. And now you just telling you, okay, we need to shift it and pivot. And that's a win in itself because it's, you know, market analysis. It's, you know, something's telling, you, no, that's okay. It's just, okay. That's not the need. I need to reshape it. I need to rework it and, and letting that and turning it into the gain and not the gap. And so living in the gain and just saying, okay, well, that was a lesson. It didn't work out. I probably threw a bunch of money at it but at least it told me something. So let's scratch it off and retry and not waste any more time on it. So every, uh, there's a win in every failure as well. I mean, <laughs> beautifully said, we have a, we have a chapter, you know, uh, what's Mike Tubbs chapter. He's the youngest um, mayor of a major city, 26 um, year old mayor of Stockton and um, oh, you know, his reelection. He lost absolutely, but he but he says turn turn losses into learning is his chapter title, you know, and that I mean he he goes right into it that and it, he, I I respect and relate to a lot of his process because he talks about you know the the book says four years later Tubbs lost his reelection but his swag was untarnished while Tubbs has learned many lessons from both his wins and losses. He doesn't categorize them in such stark terms. Rather than obsess over outcomes, Tubbs follows daily rituals that tie him to his values. And so to me, it's like, we're on this is a process, this is a journey. I'm gonna stay on the, I'm gonna stay on that one step at a time. And the outcomes, those will look like losses or those will look like wins. But to your point, if I'm learning at every stage of those, that's that's me progressing. That's the real win. Um, so yeah, the book, the book covers a little bit of that too. Yeah, no, the, the book is wonderful. And it, I love, like I said, the imagery in it. And it's just, um, it's just a little compact book. And again, when I got it in the mail, I was like, what is this? What is this book? It, it's just not your average looking like book on a shelf. Um, and it's extremely, it's tiny, but mighty. I like to say mm. like, there's a lot of powerful stories in it. And it's this, it's nothing like huge and big and bulky, these big like coffee table books, but it's just a tiny, mighty book. And it's, it's very, very powerful in what you've written and what you've put together. And um, I really enjoyed 
uh, reading it and um, talking to you about it. And thank uh, you. No, I, I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And uh, so where can we find more of you, the book? Um, what do you have coming up on the horizon? Can you share that with the listeners? No, absolutely. We'd love to connect creativehustle.org. Creativehustle.org is where you can find my co-author, Sam and myself. Um, I'm at Coach Tunde um, on Instagram and would love to, would love to connect with folks there. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of work uh, through my daily, my daily job of Street Code Academy. And you can find that information, streetcode.org. And so streetcode.org, just real briefly, is um, tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, we start out as this nonprofit in East Palo Alto, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley, trying to make sure everyone has access to innovation and that economy. Um, but now, you know, as we get, begin to grow, we're, we're, we're doing businesses, we're doing offshoots, we're doing, so there's all this whole ecosystem of, you know, largely black and brown entrepreneurs and innovators that are making a lot of good, you know, um, contributions to the world. And so, we just want everyone to join the movement and, and make sure that as we grow um, as a country, as a society, uh, that everyone has that kind of access and that ability to contribute. And so we, we're, we're having a whole, you know, community that, that's contributing now. And that's the way that's the way of the world these days. It's technology and coding. I always, you know, that's just it's just going to grow from there. And so really, you know, there's a reason why tech is so popular and why there's so much money to be made and, and lucrative and, and also just uh, creating new things too. So um, yeah, well, what you're doing is amazing and um, thank inspiring and thank you so much for sharing your time here and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And listeners, if you need uh, any of this information it is all in the show notes, please. I really encourage you to go pick up a copy of Creative Hustle and uh, check out Coach Tundi um, on social and, and keep, keep up. And uh, we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.